to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here. This is another fans-only podcast where I take your questions. I do not read them first. I take them right from your emails and tweets, put them in a file, and then read them one by one. Sometimes that results in me not knowing how to answer them or having to look things up, but I like it better this way as instant reaction. So if you DM me or if you send me a tweet or send me an email, purpleinsider.com is a good place to go send me an email and just tell me it's a fans only question and I'll put them in the file and we'll go through them. And I'm sorry if sometimes it takes a couple of episodes to get to your question. Uh, I've gotten a lot of them and I'm so happy that you guys have sent so many of these questions because they're always good. They're always thoughtful and always interesting, which is why I decided to do this. So as we get closer to the draft, we've got more cool things to get to. And so I'll get right into it. But of course, first we need to open a sweet diet, Dr. Pepper. Ah, Okay. All right. Ready to go. First question comes from Sean via the email. He says, I've come across a handful of podcasts and I give them three or four episodes to win me over. And in doing so, I have consumed a fair amount of information. But the one name I never hear is DJ Wanham. He seems to be uh, to have had a quiet breakout season last year and is somehow completely under the radar. That is uncommon. So I'm curious, perhaps, is he one of those stat collector types who doesn't do the little things or follow the scheme, a me instead of we, if you will. I would love to hear your thoughts on him. Well, I think that first the Vikings showed you their thoughts on DJ Wanham by signing Zadarius Smith and moving heaven and earth to keep Daniil Hunter by you know, letting that $18 million roster bonus kick in for Daniil Hunter. If they were confident that last year's performance by DJ Wanham was something that pointed to a long-term edge rusher or the next great pass rusher in Vikings history, of which there have been many, many, many of those, then they wouldn't have done those things because both of those things come along with risk. Signing Zedarius Smith to a two-year deal when he's coming off uh, missing an entire season and then Daniil Hunter has had his injury issues over the last two years and they're having to lay down a lot of cash to keep him on his current deal and potentially set themselves up to give Daniil Hunter a mega deal after this year, you would not do those things if you thought you had the next guy in hand. So that's one. Also, I checked this out by the numbers. DJ Wanham's pass rush win rate last year of all the guys who played at least half of the snaps uh, was 58th out of 62 edge rushers. So he was not really winning his reps on a play-to-play basis against the tackle across from him. It was more of just, I don't want to call them junk sacks because it's always good to take down the quarterback. It's always a big play. But when you get eight and a half sacks and say the quarterback scrambles right into you or someone else creates the pressure and then it's a cleanup sack, it's not often that he was lining up across from the dude on the offensive line beating that dude and pressuring the quarterback and getting a sack. It was much more of kind of the circumstance. Uh, Mike Zimmer did a really good job actually last year of creating sacks. And I think that benefited DJ Wanham. But when you're looking at numbers that project forward, 
there's nothing with him that says, okay, this is the next development project who becomes a long-term starter, say like Daniil Hunter did or Everson Griffin did. And so I think that for right now, DJ Wanham settles into kind of a situational role or somebody who's, you know, really a, a straight up backup, kind of what Steven Weatherly was for them. Uh, and I think if you replayed that season, at least what the numbers say about his pressures, if you replayed last season a bunch of times, it's probably pretty rare that he ends up with that many sacks. So clearly they don't believe that he would be able to repeat that year in and year out. And, you know, we're talking about a fourth round pick and usually those guys need development and very rarely do they become what Everson Griffin or Daniil Hunter became. Those guys are are very much outliers. So if Wanham plays any type of role, then it's really a win for the Vikings. It is it is really telling about the sack statistic, though, that the sack statistic can tell you lies, but usually pressures and pass rush win rate from year to year are something that's much more sustainable. So I hope that that answers the question and you keep Purple Insider in your uh, rotation of podcasts after that, Sean. Thank you very much. Uh, this comes from Mike, again, through the email. Uh, will Anthony Barr get signed somewhere? Who are you surprised hasn't been signed? Okay, so I'm going to have to look up the free agent list to see who I'm surprised hasn't been signed. But uh, Anthony Barr is a tough one because, you know, he's got this knee thing. And if you're a team that is looking to fill a linebacker position, like a full-time, want 17 games out of the guy, Anthony Barr is just not the person that you want to look to. I mean, just with his injuries last year and the fact that the knee thing cropped back up later in the season and kept him out, uh, I think the word is pretty much out there that he's not long for an NFL career with his knee situation. And when he kept missing time in camp, and they kept having to bump him back and back and back. It became clear last year that you know, this might have been his last close to full season last year with the injuries that he's had uh, over the last couple of seasons. I mean, he has mostly been a healthy player throughout his career, but uh, the the knee and the uh, torn pack the year before, like you get old really fast in the NFL. And I think that's what's happened to Barr. So even though he played well, when he was in, uh, if you're signing him, you're probably thinking eight to 10 games. And an eight to 10 game player is somebody that a team signs in June or July when they're looking for depth or a role player. And it's funny about how this happens, but that's the job as a general manager, kind of like with DJ Wanham, like everything is projecting forward. And if you're trying to project forward what Anthony Barr is going to be, you probably don't want to give him any more than a one-year contract, and you probably want to make sure that that position is already filled and he could just have a spot uh, because if you sign him to fill a full-time job and then he plays eight games, well, that means you've got nine games with your backup in there, and that's a, a very serious fear with Anthony Barr, and I think that's one of the reasons the Vikings quickly moved on to Jordan Hicks, who has been really, really healthy. So... um I think that that's why he hasn't signed, and I'm not really surprised that he hasn't, but I think that he will. I, I do think that when we get to that June, July, couple weeks before camp, when all the remaining free agents are looking for a spot, 
that he signs a one-year, $3 million deal or something like that. I think that's very possible. But, you know, I, by the same token, Anthony Barr never struck me as a guy who has to have the NFL in his life. Like, I think he has other interests in this world, and I'm not sure that he – I'm not saying he doesn't love football because he's a very diligent and intelligent player – uh, and he battled back from injuries and he fought to stay in Minnesota and redid his contract and, and all those things um, from last year. So I'm not questioning like his commitment or anything. I, I, I'm just saying that like he's a he's a bright dude and I could see him having other worldly interests aside from football, having made a lot of money with football. And if he doesn't get a really good offer, I mean, that could just be the end of Anthony Barr's career. We that it just he could go out like that. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if that happened. But I also think if you're a contending team and you need a little depth, you get to that part where free agents are desperate and you go, how about three million bucks to be our backup or to be our rotational rusher or whatever it might be? And that might be hard to turn down if it's a team that can compete potentially for a Super Bowl. So if the Chiefs were to say, hey, come on in, or the Broncos, hey, come on in for three million bucks on a one-year deal and be a rotational player, and hey, by the way, we just got Russell Wilson and have a chance to compete for a Super Bowl, then I think we could see Anthony Barr do that. Who am I surprised that they haven't signed or that, that hasn't been signed in general? Probably Jarvis Landry. He's a pretty good wide receiver. He's not that old. He's 30. I would have thought, and maybe by the time you listen to this, he will have a job. Uh, that's what's always <laughs> tough about talking about free agency. Uh, maybe I'm not terribly surprised that Odell Beckham doesn't have a, a job yet, but I thought he would have just quickly returned to the Los Angeles Rams. And the fact that that has not happened kind of surprises me a bit. Um, there's a few free agent corners who are still out there. We talked a little bit about Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan. Those guys from Denver, maybe coming to Minnesota, that didn't happen. Uh, but you know, you get to this point, and it's pretty—it's pretty light. The free agent list is pretty light. Uh, J.C. Treader would be a guy that you know. I'm surprised that nobody picked him right up, and I'm surprised he's waiting. Um, I don't know. You know, maybe he—maybe he's another guy who's over 30 and decides that he's made his money and he wants to move on, or he's waiting to see if someone gets hurt in camp or that type of thing. But I would have expected that there would have been a handful of teams jumping on J.C. Treader. I think the most uh, surprised I am in terms of who hasn't gone somewhere, it's Jimmy Garoppolo, has not been traded. That's the one that really has me like, why has this not happened? There's still needy teams out there. Teams made decisions to actively get worse players than Jimmy Garoppolo, like Pittsburgh going after Mitch Trubisky or Jameis Winston returning to New Orleans. I don't really understand that those decisions either in comparison to trading for jimmy garoppolo is the price from san francisco too high are there concerns about the shoulder like that's the baker mayfield thing being in a holding pattern i totally get teams are saying well, maybe we could draft somebody better i don't know but with jimmy garoppolo i mean he's taken a team to a super bowl and an nfc championship that's a lot better than anything that Jameis winston has done for example or sam darnold in uh carolina so that's the one. I know that's not a signing, but that's the one that I'm really surprised. I would have thought Garoppolo would have been the first quarterback traded, and yet here we are still sitting uh, and waiting. So thanks for that email, Mike. I appreciate it. 
Uh, this one comes from Vikings Jazz fan. What is the realistic best and worst case scenarios for this season? I can't see more than nine wins, but I'm a lifelong Vikings fan, so optimism isn't my thing. <laughs> totally understand you, uh, Vikings Jazz fan, and uh, appreciate the question. Well, I think, let me take a sip of Diet Dr. Pepper and think about this for a second. I think the realistic best case scenario really depends on who you are. If you want to see your team have better feelings about their coach, better culture, care about each other more, want to play for each other more, then I think that the best case scenario for you to project forward and say, yes, our team has a good coach. You want 11 or 12 wins out of this season. And to be able to say, yeah, it was Mike Zimmer who was holding this back. Look how good Kevin O'Connell was able to do. He's going to be a good coach for a really long time. I think that's a, that is a realistic best-case scenario. 12 might be stretching it. Maybe I should say 10 or 11. I think a lot would have to go right to get to 12. Like Green Bay would really have to falter, or Aaron Rodgers get hurt or something. But let's say, let's say 10 or 11 is realistic. But if you want this team to draft a future quarterback that could potentially take them to a Super Bowl, then a, an alternate reality best case scenario is that it doesn't work and that everything they did this offseason is wrong. And, and I know that nobody wants to call that a best case scenario, but if they were to win four games, if, if all of this, just everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong, and the guys who have injury histories got injured again, and the older players slipped, and the players we expect to develop didn't develop, and Kevin O'Connell's game management guy didn't know what he was doing, which I think he does probably, but just everything goes wrong. This this is this is not that realistic, but I think maybe a little. And they win four or five, and you can get Bryce Young, or you could get C.J. Stroud, or whoever. I don't know who the third best quarterback is. Maybe it's Spencer Rattler. I'm not sure. But you get one of the three best quarterbacks in a really, really good quarterback draft by not having a good season and regressing even more from where you were last year. That is a best-case scenario long-term. The worst-case scenario is the one that you mentioned. Nine wins is the worst-case scenario because it's not a fun season. Nobody enjoys that. Nobody enjoys an eight- or nine-win season that doesn't get you into the playoffs. Fans don't have fun. They show up for the last game in boo. We saw it last year. It won't be different this year. It will be frustrating because your team will show signs of life and then will fail you in all the biggest moments, which we have seen in recent years. Like that's what a nine win season is for everyone. I'm not even speaking directly about the Vikings for everyone. An eight or nine win season is the worst thing you can have when you have expectations of making the playoffs. When you're a budding young team that is plucky, you're the Jaguars or something and Doug Peterson's trying to get them back on track. Okay, well, nine wins would be huge for the Jaguars, my gosh. But when you bring back Thielen, Smith, Hunter, and you do all the things that they did to the salary cap long term, to win nine, to be one win better than they were last year, would be, I think, maybe the, the biggest way that they could uh, spin their wheels and go absolutely nowhere. You wouldn't look at Kevin O'Connell and say, wow, he was way better. 
and you wouldn't look at them and say, oh, they're they're set up to draft the next franchise quarterback. Now, they might anyway because the league gets it wrong a lot when it comes to the order of quarterbacks, but nine wins, eight wins, I think those are very realistic and they also feel the worst. But any of the other extremes, you know, Paul Hodewanek and I had that debate the other day. Would you rather have an 11-win season and I don't tell you how far it goes in the playoffs or you get a three-win or four-win season and draft in the top three? You know, Paul wanted to draft in the top three, and I said, look, man, if you're there on the doorstep, you've got to take that shot at going deep in the playoffs. Those two outcomes, I think, are very good. But it's the in-the-middle outcome that we've seen what that does. It's very easy to say that's the worst case because we've seen what that does over and over. It just gets you nowhere. You're drafting 12th, and and this is the highest that they've drafted in a while. So thanks for that question. That's a good one. Folks, Minnesota sports teams are in the playoffs. Yes, that's right. Playoffs. Minnesota sports teams is happening. And for all your Minnesota sports inspired gear, go to sodastick.com. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. They have hockey, basketball, all sorts of great designs on hoodies, on shirts, on hats, Everything you need, go there. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your purchase. Again, that is SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. 15% off with the promo code PURPLEINSIDER. Uh, All right, next one from Hey, It's Maddie Fez. Justin Jefferson didn't specify his goals for this season, but if you were a receiver with his talent and work ethic... Working with a coach who came from an offense where, uh, with receiver usage like Cooper Cup, what would your expectations or goals realistically look like? That's good. That's a good question. So, I mean, we could do this by like a fantasy stat type of thing, but I really don't want to look at it that way. Like last year, Cooper Cup had to be that for the Los Angeles Rams because Robert Woods went out. And Odell Beckham came in, but he wasn't able to come right in and fill in that spot for Robert Woods. So it was by necessity in a lot of ways that Los Angeles had to throw to Cooper Cup as much as they did. And it, and as great as that worked, that they ended up with the highest expected points added passing the ball, and Cooper Cup is an unstoppable force, so there's that. I don't, I don't know that you want to look at this question like, oh, if he gets 140 catches, like that's where the expectation should be because Cooper Cup was doing that. I think it's more of, can you use Justin Jefferson to drive your team scoring points? And when you look at the percentage of drives where the Vikings scored points, it was very unimpressive. Let me look it up. It was very unimpressive last year. And, and that's that's what you're really looking at, I think, is a, is a great metric to tell you about how your offense is doing is how often when you have the ball, are you scoring? That means you're sustaining drives. That means you're creating big plays. That means you're finishing with an extra point or a field goal and, and you're helping your defense by being on the field, like all these things. Like last year, the Rams scored. They were third best in the league. They scored on 46% of their drives, okay? The Vikings were 15 
on 39% of their drives, and they had one of the lowest turnover percentages in the league. What that means is a lot of unsuccessful drives. If you start the game from the first play saying, Justin Jefferson will win us this game every week. He will get us ahead in this game, and he will put the dagger in the back of the other team, and then we'll run the football with Delvin Cook to make sure they don't get the ball back. But everything is starting with Justin Jefferson. Then he could still end up with the same exact stats, but the order of operations would be different and more successful in terms of scoring points as an offense. I, th- I think that that's the way we need to look at it. It's not so much, hey, does he get this many or that many catches? Like, look, nobody has more receiving yards in the last two years than Justin Jefferson in the whole NFL. So I don't expect that his numbers are going to be insanely better. I just think that when they choose to force the football his way should be right from the very start, not when they are backed into a corner and they absolutely have to, which seems to be the way that it was over the last two years in many occasions. Oh, no, we're down 14 points. Now it's time to start throwing the ball to Justin Jefferson. Uh, I don't think that that's the right way to approach it. And how did you get down 14 points? Oh, by running on first and second down. Like that was very much the case with Gary Kubiak. And I think that at times it was with Clint Kubiak as well. So, you know, I think my expectations, if I'm Jefferson, is that this coach is using everybody a little smarter and is it just has a better outlook toward what football is in 2022 to win and how you just constantly have to be thinking score, 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 not ball control, not playing it safe. You have to be thinking right out of the gate, throwing the ball all over the yard because that's football in 2022. So my expectation is that we score more points because of me, if I'm Justin Jefferson and I'm that receiver. Uh, but, you know, the the fantasy stats, I just I would think that they would come out similar even if they're using Jefferson in a better way. I think it would be really hard to be better. That me- And also that means you're not really throwing to Adam Thielen or K.J. Osborne or much out of the backfield. Remember, I mean, they didn't have almost anything out of the backfield to throw to. I think their second leading receiver had 60 catches, and that was the tight end. Like, the Vikings have more options than that, I think. So, all right, uh, next question here. At Gone Fishing 58 could you see the Vikings starting off a little slow because their players have to learn new systems on offense and defense as a result, hampering their already borderline chances of making the playoffs? This is a tough, this is a tough one to project because I do think it's hard on defense. I don't know that it's hard on offense. I mean, I remember in 2018, I mean, think about this, really. They've had different offensive coordinators every year and we've gotten different results at the beginning of the season every year. I mean, last year, Kirk Cousins started off with a new offensive coordinator and played terrific football for the most part through the first couple of games of the season. Uh, played really well at Arizona, played pretty well once his team stopped jumping off sides against Cincinnati. In the second half of that game, Cousins was really good. I mean, they started off the season against Seattle was maybe the best Kirk game we've seen right and that was a new offensive coordinator on offense I don't think it's an issue but on defense that's where it feels like all the moving parts have to be in the same spot 
And and think about with the Vikings, it's a lot of guys who have played together before. So the receivers, they've all been together before. Irv Smith, been together. Kirk, he knows these guys. Even the offensive linemen, there's really only one new position on the offensive line. The chemistry of the people getting on the same page is pretty good for the offense. But on defense, yes, I think we really saw that last year at times where there were miscommunications in big moments early in the season, specifically the um, Rondale Moore touchdown that they allowed against Arizona. And, and I and one of the reasons is, I mean, they don't play in the preseason, basically at all. I don't think we'll see starters in the preseason. Like, I'm not saying that you should, the moment you get your tickets, sell all your preseason games, but the Los Angeles Rams essentially didn't play any starters in those games. So you're going to go the whole off season with just training camp to get new linebacker, new defensive lineman, new starting safety, new starting corner, presumably like at least Shandon Sullivan out of the nickel. Uh, we'll see if it's, you know, Cam Dantzler and, and Patrick Peterson, but new faces on the defense could, could take a little while. And it's another reason to come right out of the gate and just lean into Kirk Cousins and throw the ball as much as you can because I do think the defense will have a curve here. Could it affect their chances to make the playoffs? It really depends. I mean, if that learning curve is steep, then the answer is yes. It's not easy to just go into free agency and say, let's grab you know a handful of good players and decent players and hope it all works out. Um, it did work for Cincinnati, though Cincinnati didn't get off, I don't think, right? I'm trying to remember. I don't think they got off to like the most blazing hot start to last season, but um, they did that with their defense where they kind of went and got one really good player in Trey Hendrickson and then some average players that worked out for them, and they played decent enough defense to let Joe Burrow be the man and drive their success. So you can overcome it. Like I don't think it's going to take six weeks but, you know, in an NFC with a lot of close teams in quality, one or two games could matter. Um, that's a hard, It's a hard thing to project, though, because if you come out of the gate and Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter look great and they sack everybody, then that will eliminate some of the problems that they had. Like miscommunications in the secondary look a lot worse when there's no pressure. All right, this uh, next question in our fans only podcast comes from sports guy. Nelson says, Hey Matt, uh, this is for fans only. If you'd like talk me into the Vikings going full lean into the Kirk this year and drafting two wide receivers, not just one, two wide receivers. Well, I think that talking you into a first round receiver is not hard where the Vikings are picking. They could take the best receiver in the draft. I mean, when you look at a lot of mock drafts, they maybe have one, Sometimes it's Jake uh, Drake London. Sometimes it's Garrett Wilson. It's usually one guy who is going before the Vikings pick, which means it could be none. And they could have their pick to take the best receiver on the board right there at number 12. You won't get that likely at corner. It's possible you get the second best corner. You won't get that at edge rusher. You might be looking at taking the third or fourth best edge rusher. Those are the positions you need the most quarterback still seems like a long shot so if you could take the best player in the whole draft at number 12 let's say you think it's Chris Olave which is who I think it is but I mean I you know who knows 
But let's say it's Chris Olave, take him. And you could plug him in as the number three slash four to where, you know, maybe he's playing over KJ Osborne. Maybe they're switching in and out. They're going to use a lot of three wide receivers. People will get their opportunities. And in the short term, that's really good to add a blazing fast playmaking weapon right off the bat. And like you said, leaning into Kirk Cousins in the passing game. And in the long term, the Justin Jefferson thing has to be talked about. As we are speaking at this moment, Debo Samuel's family is putting on Facebook that he's never going to play for the 49ers again. Like it's a real thing that has to be considered down the road that you know there could be a Justin Jefferson contract issue. And if you drafted another first round wide receiver who could be really good, like that's that's your parachute if something goes wrong with Jefferson. I, I'm not I'm not trying to like scare anybody about Jefferson it's just as likely that he's a Viking for life but teams should always be thinking about this just the way that they should about quarterback they should always be thinking a couple of steps ahead because you just don't know how that's going to play out when all the money gets involved and you know who who knows like one of the uh the downsides of winning four games um, the good side is that you could draft a quarterback. The bad side is that Justin Jefferson probably won't believe in you. You know, so every every sort of domino has uh, has an impact or whatever. Uh, there's always a butterfly effect to everything that happens. And um, so I think that trying to anticipate those things would mean drafting a wide receiver. And I also just think like, you know, you look at some of the teams throughout history. And this is not like a new thing. The more receivers you have, the more people are open, the more your quarterback can make plays. If Mark Rippon can win a Super Bowl with three great receivers with Washington, or if Case Keenum with two can succeed, or, you know, I mean, we, we've never really seen Kirk Cousins with three. If, if Randall Cunningham can lead one of the best offenses ever, right? Like, we've seen this happen over the history of the game. Taking a shot at it, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. So you can let me know in a tweet if you were talked into it. But I don't think it's hard. I don't think it's hard. Can you find a corner in free agency? There's like three for four who are still good right now. Can you find an edge rusher? Probably. They're a little harder to find, but you could get them in free agency. Each year, there's a couple guys who are available. Um, so it's not like those positions are irreplaceable. Receivers, though, are just getting very, very expensive. And if you can have one cost-controlled, who's great, I mean, that's what you should look for. Folks, just wanted to mention that you can get the Purple Insider Draft Guide next Monday by going to purpleinsider.com anytime. Click on any of the articles to go subscribe to our newsletter. The Draft Guide comes with one month subscription and you can get all of our written draft coverage. Go to purpleinsider.com. Check out all of our written work there. Sign up for either a full year at a reduced price or one month. You get the Draft Guide that has 50 players the Vikings could draft special essays on this year's draft and what the Vikings can learn from the past and much, much more. Again, purpleinsider.com. Our draft guide comes free with one month subscription. Go check it out today. 
Okay, this comes from Ronzoni on Twitter. Any whispers you've heard of who the Vikings' number one target would be at 12? I know there's talk of trading back, but if Stingley, McDuffie, Jermaine Johnson are there, and I assume you mean Kayvon Thibodeau here um, uh, with the initials, uh, slips, any idea who they would take? I'm also team-wide receiver. Have you heard if that's a realistic possibility? If Kayvon Thibodeau slips to number 12 and they don't take him, that would be a big mistake, I think. I mean, you're talking about an incredible value for the talent of someone who was talked about as the number one overall pick. There would be a reason for that player slipping, but at that point, you just have to take him. As far as hearing who they're going to take, the whole world wants to know who any and every team is going to take. And I can tell you that anyone who claims that they know anything about what's going to happen on draft night is selling you a bill of goods. They're absolutely thoroughly telling you fibs if they claim to know what any team is going to do. Because if you are inside the building and you are leaking things that are true out to media people and you are caught doing that, you are fired. Okay. I mean, think about last year. Think about how inaccurate mocks are. These are the most dialed-in people to the industry. Mel Kuyper has been doing this thing forever. Todd McShay, the biggest names. And Daniel Jeremiah, who was a former NFL executive or scout, I think scout. These people know all sorts of executives and scouts and GMs and coaches around the league. They never get it right. And that tells you how little is being leaked out of these teams when it comes to that stuff. Teams only leak stuff when they want it leaked. They only let it get out there if they want people to know that it's out there. So I have no idea who their number one target is. (laughs) I really don't. And nobody else does either. And that's why I can't wait for the draft. (laughs) I mean, have I heard it's a realistic possibility? I mean, no, I don't know anything. I mean, real, truly. Truly, this is this is the one area where you know nothing and you never do. And the reason that we often get it right is just by figuring it out. Like last year, I think all of us were in on this Christian Derrissaw idea. And it happens because it was obvious. It was the biggest position that they needed. And it was a position of strength in the draft. The same kind of thing with uh, Garrett Bradbury, where a lot of people guessed that he would be the pick. Because he was their their big weakness. Justin Jefferson, Jeff Gladney, like we knew those positions. And so you can take your best guess, but there are no whispers when it comes to this type of thing. There never have been. Um, there's There's a lot of things that we learn about what happened in a given season, dynamics between players. Uh, You learn more when you're in the locker room all the time, of course, than the last couple of years. So I'm excited about that. But this is what makes draft season and the NFL draft, one of the most compelling events in all of sports is because you just have no idea what's going to happen going into it. Um, We don't know who's going to be the number one pick right now. We don't know if it's Trayvon Walker or Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau. We don't know. Um, So I can't wait, but you know, is, is there, you know, possibility of taking any of those players if they're there? Like, yeah, I mean, every single one of them. So I'm excited for it. Uh, okay. This one comes from, uh, Chris Graywin on Twitter. 
for the fans only pod react to this mock and he sent me a link to a mock and I'm not going to read the whole thing but I will tell you that it has Kayvon Thibodeau going to the Vikings uh, my reaction would be wow this is Justin Jefferson only defensive end version this is somebody who in college was a great great player and really didn't do anything wrong and somehow ended up in their laps and that's my whole take. I mean, that would be a huge home run for them. And I, you know, just is his personality so off putting that they allow him to drop someone who is a number one overall talent to drop to number 12? I guess that would be my only question. That's the question we would be asking Quasi Adafo Mensa on draft night is. Okay, how did he get to you guys? That's what we need to know. And the answer with Jefferson, in hindsight, was so stupid. <laughs> it was so silly. Well, he played in the slot a lot. Like, okay. And actually, interestingly, Pro Football Focus uh, did a study on like player usage and whether there was a correlation to their success, like wide receivers, where they lined up, that kind of thing. And the answer was not really. And that's how it kind of goes for most things in college is, you know, some of the statistics will tell you something, but normally it's, do you have the size, speed, and adaptability to play in the NFL? And if you do, then you can. Um, so if they were to draft Kayvon Thibodeau, I think they get an A-plus from everybody the next day. Um, okay, so I forgot to include the next person's Twitter, and I'm sorry for that, uh, I, but I'm, I'm not going to go back and track down who it was. So you know who you are, mystery tweeter. Should the Vikings trade the 12th overall pick for A.J. Brown and sign him long-term? Hashtag competitive rebuild. This is one of the problems with having so much money tied up in a quarterback and running backs. Okay, they can't. They just can't. There, there's. It's not a one-year thing. It's not like you could just push the money into next year if you trade for AJ Brown and then sign him to an extension. Like they have made life difficult on themselves cap-wise for years to come, and so you kind of can't. Like, is it a really good idea to get AJ Brown to go with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne? Of course it is. Is it a good idea? Like, I mean, there are teams who have made the cap seem fake. And I guess if you were really, really trying, if you were going out of your way, so if they do this on draft night, I guess you can all come back and laugh at me. But it would be so difficult after this year. When you look at next year, there aren't easy ways to create cap space. And so even if you're trading for a really good player, filling in the rest of that matters. Like the Los Angeles Rams had other good players. <laughs> they did not just have like four good players who they paid a bunch of money and then a bunch of schmoes. Like that's what the Vikings have kind of had. They've had a bunch of good players who played well and made a lot of money. And then a lot of guys who, you know, I'm surprised I'm not seeing in the USFL. Um, that, that wasn't the Rams and that's not usually how it works with great teams. If you trade for AJ Brown, you are making your cap situation for next year impossible to maybe even field an entire roster unless you sign him to a contract that is really low cap it in the first year 
and then a giganto cap hit in the future. Is that possible? Yes. But that's kind of a thing that a Kansas City or a Denver or somebody who is really on the cusp, not a competitive rebuild, but really on the cusp of trying to win a championship. And specifically when Kwesi Adolfo Mensa was asked, I think it was an NFL network interview at the owners meetings about competitive rebuild. I think he kind of used it as an example of not trading draft picks for current players. And, and as great as that sounds to trade draft picks and get good players right away, those players cost money. And the rookie guys just don't. And as long as that is the way that it is, the 12th overall pick doesn't cost you almost anything, and A.J. Brown costs you a ton, then that formula doesn't really work for a team that's trying to stack up its roster. But would it be amazing for them and be an all-in type of play, the type that we were looking for from the start? It was either go all-in or tear it all down, and they did neither. Like, I, I, I would get behind it because this has been my idea for a long time is to go get another great wide receiver. So I'm interested, yeah, if they would do something like that. But it's so hard to make it work with their cap that I think they've stretched themselves just to the brink with the salary cap. Uh, So you can't really do something like that. But if they do, you'll have been on it, Mystery Tweeter. Uh, Okay, last one. And uh, now I will need more of these because I've now gotten through all the ones I have, which I'm very happy about. So... Feel free to send them on Twitter at Matthew Collar uh, or go to purpleinsider.com. Use, you know, there's a little like contact me thing. Uh, I think you can send it there. Okay, this one comes from Len via email. It says, for this year's draft, the formula should be, and I'm going to kind of skip through here a little bit, Len, uh, picks 11 through 20s to pick up the best value that remains on the board because other teams reach for quarterbacks, wide receivers, and left tackles. Okay. Does that sound right? And uh, then who will be there at number 12? The more info I see, the more it looks like it will be an elite wide receiver. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the wide receiver point that I think that wide receiver seems as if it's the position where the top guy has the best chance of being there at 12. And the Vikings are in a spot where they really can pick up the best value or they could trade down if they see really good value a couple spots down or a desperate team that wants to trade up for a quarterback. But if we're talking about the best player at a position, which I know is not how they do it, and they have needs at so many positions, but they could look at their board and rank their players and say, these are the eight guys that we think could be available. And if five of them are still there, then we're going to move down. And if three of them are still there, we're going to take a guy. Like, I think that's how it works. And that's why mocking is so tough and trying to figure out who they're going to take. Like, I apologize for the rant earlier about like people just don't know how it's going to work out or who wants to draft who. But like it, that is truly the case that it changes so much after like three, four picks every year. There's a surprise and then everything changes and everyone has to adapt on the fly. But the most realistic position to be there with the best player to me is wide receiver. But if it's a surprise, if it's Thibodeau, if it's Derek Stingley Jr., which I'm not sure is a total surprise, but if it's him, then I think they'll go with the best player. But I think right now, if you were making a pie chart, you would probably give like 50% to trading down. 
and then split the rest between wide receiver, defensive end, and corner, and then give a little sliver to quarterback just to make me happy, I guess, because that would be very, very interesting if that were to happen and we would have a lot of fans-only questions to discuss. So thank you so much to everybody for sending all of your fans-only questions. I will continue to gather them. I also pluck some from the Friday mailbag we do at purpleinsider.com. And um, so if you're sending those on Twitter, I'll usually use a few of those uh, on this as well. But keep sending them. I really enjoy this. It sounds like you guys like it too. So uh, we will keep doing it and keep having fun. And one more week until the draft. Talk to you guys later.